Thank you for listening to Speed Bumps. If you're enjoying this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you subscribed, rated, and reviewed my podcast on whatever platform you're currently listening on. I also wanted to plug my YouTube channel, where I'm posting videos every Friday under the hashtag FinnApprovedFridays. In the videos, I demonstrate how I do everyday tasks and tell you if the items are Finn approved. You can find my YouTube channel by searching one thumb L, that's O-N-E, thumb E-L, or clicking the link in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and on to the show. When you're driving, speed bumps force you to slow down. Some are big, some are small. Regardless of the size, they can really mess up your car if you go over them too fast. In this go, go, go world, society tends to have a negative view of speed bumps. But in my opinion, they don't have to be a bad thing. We all go through speed bumps in life, such as getting married, a spiritual awakening, having children, changing jobs, a trauma, and more. In this podcast, you will hear the various speed bumps that people have encountered and how those experiences have shaped them into the person they are now. Because every story has speed bumps, and that is what makes life interesting. By learning more about yourself, about the possibilities that are out there, uh, orgasms and fulfillment, they're boundless. That, like, I just, I love that idea. And, like, it, you're right. Initially, I thought Boink was just really fun to say. Like, I think of a spring, which is kind of like your logo. It's like kind of like a coil. And then I was like, but no, there's, like, a dot in there. Like, what is this? And I, <laughs> I found it. And I was like, that's great. That's great. So oh did- my gosh, you picked up on everything. The logo, <laughs> the spring, uh, all of it. Wow, you are, you did your, your research. I, I do. So did you come up with the name and then the acronym? Or like, did you, how did you come up with Boink? Um, so originally the idea of Boundless was something that I was playing on. Uh, a lot of what I teach is kink related. Um, it is a topic that a lot of people have an interest in, and if it's not done safely, can lead to a lot of injuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wanted to focus on that. So I was playing on the idea of boundless, like binds and bondage. And then I started looking up just fun words for, you know, sexual fun. And I found Boink and I was like, I can make this. I can make this a thing. So it was a combination of. I love it. And when did you start Boink? A year ago, as of May. So we just passed our one year mark. Happy anniversary. Happy birthday, whichever one fits best. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) thanks. Oh, that's awesome. And what made you want to start Boink? Because if I recall, you worked in like the traditional nine to five for a bit, right? Yes. Uh, actually, prior to this, I worked in insurance for 13 years. <laughs> oh, gosh. I was chained to a desk. Like, my headset might as well have been a leash and not in a kinky way. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I 
I started this because I was always that friend that people would come to about these subjects. And I always encouraged people to talk about them. And the look on someone's face when they are able to share or get information about their sexual interests without judgment, they just feel so validated and giving them that safe space just really called to me. So, uh, yeah, after 13 years of being yelled at, you know, by people who are like, why did my premiums go up? I can't, I can't do this anymore. I need something that's more fulfilling. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, seeing you talk about the way you described why you started it, you could see the passion on your face. And so that right there tells me you're not doing this just because it's, fun like you actually have this this deep-seated passion for it that you took what you loved that maybe could just been a hobby like you said helping friends into an actual business which I think is the dream of a lot of people to take what they love and their hobby and to turn into something that they can do full-time but doesn't feel like full-time absolutely and there's always that danger like if you uh, take something that you love and you make it a job that it can become cumbersome yes and there are days where I don't want to do social media posts and I don't want to talk about sales. I want to sit down and I want to connect with someone. But I remind myself that all those little tasks are leading to the the real true purpose and aspect of what I love to do. Yeah, I can, uh, I can attest that because I'm like, I don't want to file the taxes. I don't want to figure out if I need a sales and use part. Like, I don't want to I, just let me go help people. Like, I exactly. just want to do that part. <laughs> exactly. Oh, so you've taught some in-person classes for Boink. Yes. Yes. Two questions. One, what type of classes and which one has been your favorite? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, a lot of the classes, um, because that was definitely what I wanted to focus on uh, going into this, um, a lot of the classes that have had a lot of interest are rope, rope play or shivari. That has been really exciting uh, to see that explosion of people who have kind of danced around the edge. This is something that people can feel that there's like a gatekeeper for this information. They feel like they can't dabble or practice or explore without somebody giving them like explicit permission to do so. And I can understand that it's like steeped in tradition. Um, I would say my favorite class is probably our Rope 102. 101, we end up focusing a lot on safety. And Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm just talking at people a lot because their safety is important to me. Yes. yes. But uh, 102, we've kind of broached beyond that and we can start just exploring different ties uh, and we can really see, especially if somebody brings a friend or a partner, we can really see them starting to connect as they're working with the rope. And it's amazing. Now you had said rope and shibari. So is there a difference between like rope and like what is shibari? So shibari is a traditional uh, Japanese rope uh, practice on the body. So a lot of times rope play or shibari, the terms are used interchangeably. 
but we do want to recognize that shibari has that deep traditional root. So technically, what I'm teaching is not 100% to the core shibari. We're not using the particular ropes um, or particular styles that are specific to that. Okay. Okay. And so when you say people may feel like they need gatekeepers, is that because of the tr- maybe the tradition of shibari? Is that what yes. you... Okay. Okay. Yes, exactly. They feel that they need permission to like step over that threshold and start these practices. Now, a lot of their hesitation may come from safety concerns, which is a hundred percent valid. Yes. Um, rope play is considered one of the riskier forms of cake. So yes. Yeah. Um, and obviously putting rope in certain places on the body can be more dangerous than others. Right. Absolutely. Yes. You know, a lot of people instantly think of uh, circulation Uh, Mm -hmm. circulation issues as one of the greatest risks. And it is, you know, we've all, you know, put on a hair tie or wrapped a string around (laughs) our finger a little too tight and watched it turn purple and was like, Ooh, what? Um, But we also have to be very careful about nerve damage. That is one of the longer lasting uh, risks that are involved with the rope. And it's amazing all the areas where the nerves are close to the surface and very exposed and fragile. What are some of those places that people may not uh, think of? Good question. The biggest one is actually the arms uh, behind the bicep. Okay. So from your shoulder down to your elbow. Um, that area is full of sensitive nerve endings that actually end up leading to your ability to make a fist or have any strength in your hand. So this sort of damage can cause somebody to not be able to work uh, or, you know, complete daily functions in their life. Really important. I always suggest for somebody that's starting out, if they are interested uh, in trying rope, start from the elbow down and from the knee down. Those areas are going to be safer. Okay. Yeah, I've had nerve damage not from rope, just like from surgery. And that is no joke. That's not something that you want to mess around with. Um, And some of my nerves were like severed and those took years, literally years to fix. So yeah, definitely if you're into rope, please do this safely. Like I said, my damage was not from rope, but the nerve (laughs) damage part still applies. (laughs) It still applies. You know exactly the the full risks. Yeah, yeah. So... I had actually gone to one of your classes, well, because you only started a year ago, but it was a rope class. And the way you taught it was, like you said, you talked about safety, but it was things like, you know, some people like it just because it looks pretty. Some people like it because they like um, tying someone up and right. We've all seen like, I feel like Fifty Shades of Grey probably gives uh, <laughs> things a, a really bad rap in a lot of aspects. But, you know, you can go to an adult toy store and you see the Fifty Shades of Grey packages, right? And, oh, here, tie this up. And they have the silk scarves or whatever. Uh, but you, the way you explained, like, where to place the knots and how to do it, to your point of nerve damage, that was really important. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, 
the as much as a lot of people in the BDSM or kink community have this like knee jerk cringe reaction to Fifty Shades of Grey, uh, it really did open a door for a lot of people. It put something kink in mainstream. It made people think. The people who had that little voice of like, wouldn't that be so sexy? And they always ignored it. And they shoved that voice down. So I do appreciate that it brought that forward for some people and it made it more access- um, acceptable to talk about. The, there are now shows on Netflix. You know, there's yeah. 365. Uh, there is uh, How to Build a Sex Room. Oh my gosh. If you Have you seen that? No, I didn't even, what is, I don't even know what the show is. <laughs> oh my gosh. If you have not seen How to Build a Sex Room on Netflix, 10 out of 10, absolutely recommend. This lady is phenomenal. Now I do need to preface this by saying there is a lot behind the scenes, a lot of discussion that she has with her clients, but she comes in and she works with her clients on making a room customized to them, customized to their interests, a place for them to connect and have that intimacy it's absolutely phenomenal. And she's British, which takes it to this whole, like, we're talking naughty <laughs> and I am doing it in the most eloquent way possible. I really shouldn't do, uh, no, that was that like was a great. really half-hearted attempt at a accent. I can't do them. <laughs> I can't do them either, but I feel like a British accent, especially on something that mainstream may perceive as taboo, makes it that much funnier. <laughs> like <laughs> so fantastic. That's great. She like walks around with this bag, like, like kinky Mary Poppins and she'll take like a whip out and she'll put it on the table and then she'll just watch for their reactions as a way to gauge what goes in their room. It's, oh my gosh, really fun, really fun to watch. (laughs) Oh, I, I, I'm going to have to check that out because I like, I would want to see their faces. Like that Mm -hmm. sounds absolutely hilarious. And all I can think about (laughs) is... I've seen these, like, secret rooms where people, like, put, like, libraries and stuff or, like, food pantries or whatever. And I'm now in my head, I'm like, do people just have random, like, hidden sex rooms in their house that we don't know about? Like, are they just behind, like, some little bookcase, like, some Narnia shit? <laughs> <laughs> that is my kind of Narnia. Absolutely. <laughs> it's amazing how we take our day-to-day perceptions of people and without even thinking of it, we subconsciously kind of transplant that information over what their sex life might be oh my gosh chances are if you ever broached a sex sexual subject with a friend you have some kinky kinky friends that you would be amazed to learn what they've tried yeah and I feel like like you said that but it's so taboo right in society not since 50 shades it's since become slightly more acceptable but even the before Fifty Shades, it was always the um, the jokes about the milkman, right? Like with our moms, like, oh, the, 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 I, I'm the milkman's kid or, you know, I'm the service TV service repairman's kid. Like, it's always been this slightly like taboo, sexy, like kind of woven in that people mention, but kind of like laugh off as they laugh it off to try and gauge how the other person is seeing it. Like, Mm -hmm. like she does with the whip. Exactly. Yep. And uh, I mean, we're seeing an explosion of 
polyamory becoming more acceptable. Um, I mean, the LGBTQ movement is just running and I love it. And kink and I mean, sexuality now is becoming so important. Um, Even the World Health Organization, uh, WHO, recognizes that sex is part of a healthy life. It is an integral part of a healthy life. So I don't know why we shy away from these discussions because this is something that, again, sex is a learned skill. I mean, yes, very much an aspect of nature, but being good at sex, enjoying sex is completely different from the acts that are necessary to reproduce right so to enjoy it to be good at it those are things that we can learn well and that's why there's people like sex coaches and sex therapists and like lifestyle coaches who that's all they talk about and it Mm -hmm. doesn't have to be in this um uncomfortable way and i'm also not saying you have to broadcast that you know you and your partner went to go see a sex therapist but If in a relationship you guys are trying to explore that, as long as you go see someone who's professional about it, like, why not? Like, what's the harm in that, right? Like, and a lot of people who are in a relationship that may be struggling, oftentimes sex is the first thing to go. And then when that goes, because you're losing a lot of that physical connection, it can affect all other parts of the relationship fairly quickly. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I am a certified relationship and sex or intimacy coach, however you want to word it. I always kind of try and gauge people's reaction. Like, uh, But uh, one of the things, the reason that I started that line of work was because the individuals that I was working with on, you know, a close-knit um close-knit exchange, when they were sexually satisfied, whether or not they were in a relationship, if they were taking that time for intimacy with themselves, Mm -hmm. it showed in their day. If you are fulfilled sexually and you know that that's an aspect of your body that you control, it empowers you in all other aspects of your life. Um, And yeah, when it comes to couples... It is hard to find that friend that I was to these other people. You don't know who to ask. And you also don't know if the information and feedback that you're getting is 100% valid. Unless you're talking to a sex coach or a sex therapist or a sex counselor. So if you are in that position where you do want to talk to somebody, try a sex coach. You're going to get valid information. They don't know your friends or family. You are protected by their confidentiality agreements. It's a great way to really connect with somebody with about something that you might not get a chance to otherwise. And you're going to learn a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And YouTube and the internet can be great for a lot of things. And I know that you do, what is it? Wednesdays, Fridays? Help me out. Wednesdays. Wednesdays. Wind down Wednesdays. Wind down yeah. Wednesdays. Yeah. And so channels like yours can provide a lot of really good information. But on the internet, just like with any topic, right, it can be hard to figure out what's true, what's not, 
what's good information, what's bad information. And sometimes if you, let's say you have a couple when one of the people's in a wheelchair and you're trying to figure things out, maybe going online isn't going to be the best thing because you need someone specific to you that can communicate with you on an individualized basis. Yes. What works for one person and one body, physical body, is not necessarily going to work for another. As much as we are all human and we have that, you know, great connection about ourselves, we are all very, very unique and very, very different. And so working with a sex coach, they're going to listen to you, like truly listen to you. Mm-hmm. And they're going to give you a couple different techniques or suggestions on things to try. And as long as you're open-minded, they're going to lead you down a path of that boundless orgasms. <laughs> so, yeah. So question for you, true or false? Because I've seen both of these. All right, men, can, men can have multiple orgasms. Yes, true. True, like in a very short period of time. True, yes, with a lot of training. Okay. Um, so they're sometimes referred to as dry orgasms, um, but they can have orgasms without ejaculate. Interesting. Because like I've seen yeah. both of those and that I feel like that's a really good example of uh, I've seen both things. And so let's ask an expert. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the terms that I've struggled to uh, kind of take on is sexpert, but I heard it as you said it. So I'm like, I'm just going to put that out there. But yes, it, <laughs> it absolutely can happen. Um, some uh, individuals will train themselves to be able to have that orgasm without ejaculating. That way they can keep their raging heart on and keep going. Um, other times, if you just keep having fun, you can have multiple orgasms even afterwards. Interesting. And one may argue that, oh, that's a young guy's thing. Like that's like teenager, like early 20s, true or false? Is it just that age group or can it be widened out? I'm going to say false. I actually would think that the younger individuals may have more difficulty with that. Yeah, we always imagine that stamina is related to youth. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that stamina and skills like this are related to experience. So I would say it's available to a wide range of age groups. Interesting. Interesting. So I'm realizing because we got talking about your favorite class. What other classes do you teach besides rope? Yes. Uh, So rope is the big one. Um, We are developing many classes. The newest one that we have is an impact and spanking class uh, where we invite people to learn about different tools uh, related to impact or spanking um, and understand how to use them appropriately, how to embrace that pain aspect, um, what we would attribute to the S&M category of BDSM, and do so in a safe way. And what does S&M stand for, for those who don't know? And also BDSM, for those who don't know. Oh, gosh. BDSM is this lovely amalgamation of multiple things. So it stands for bondage and discipline. All right. So there's the 
BD the first time. Then we revisit the D. It stands for domination and submission. Okay. Then we revisit the S, and instead of submission, now it stands for sadism and masochism. So sadism and masochism, or sadomasochism, is the idea that pain, either delivering it to another person or receiving it. So the sadist is the person who likes inflicting pain, and the masochist is the person that likes receiving it, that this can trigger a pleasurable reaction in the body. And I feel like I should clarify this just so people don't come at us. This is very different than abuse. Yes. Very, very different than abuse. Absolutely. This is full consensual. This is individuals who have had negotiations. There are very clear boundaries on what is acceptable and what is not anything stepping outside those boundaries would 100% be considered abuse. Uh, But this is within the realm of those negotiations and sometimes contracts. They will write down explicitly what is okay and what is not. You were telling me, I guess in Massachusetts, BDSM is technically illegal? Yes. Uh, Yeah, this is really interesting. And I'm sure it applies to other states, but I'm a Massachusetts resident, so a lot of Oh, what I do is specifically in this state. BDSM is technically illegal. The Massachusetts law is written in such a way that a person cannot consent to any form of physical harm. They cannot consent to assaults. They cannot consent to abuse, in a sense, is how the law reads. So any individuals entering into this type of relationship in Massachusetts, um, a lot of the times we put a lot of the risk on the submissive, the person that is enduring the pain or the requests, but there is equal uh, risk for the dominant because if at any time the submissive turned around and wanted to press charges and take legal action, they 100% could. And you had mentioned like these contracts that sometimes people dropped up do those hold any weight? Like if, uh, no, 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 you cannot legally consent. So this is something that, you know, is great as a way to go back and reference. It is good to review your contract for your own peace of mind to make sure that as time goes on and your flavors change, that you're editing things. I, I like to think of sex as like taste buds and our sexual appetite changes. That's a hundred percent normal. Um, so you're changing things and adapting your contract and making sure that everybody is clear on those boundaries. But as far as legally protecting you, that quote unquote contract is not going to do that. Okay. See, and I sh- part of me is like, that's a great law. And then another part of me is like, this is not a great law because there are people who cry wolf. And then there's also people, if that law was in place, maybe who could take advantage of that and say, oh, well, we were just being kinky in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. And so I, and I, I truly struggle with that because I can see both sides and I, and I don't know where I stand. I just feel like if people were all good and decent, <laughs> then the, the law wouldn't be necessary, right? Like whatever you do in your own bedroom is up to you. And so I struggle with that law. It's a really, It's a really difficult thing, especially for, you know, any of us that are working from an educational standpoint in sex, because 
with how sadly common it is of sexual assault is a huge issue. Um, we need to make sure that people have that platform where they can stand up and say, you know, I was abused. Um, I wish we lived in a world where we didn't need something like this, but I think it is important to protect the the victims. You know, yes. the, the submissive is not, is not a victim. It is really important to protect the victims. And in kink, we have something we call it RAC. It's risk aware consensual kink. So by making people aware that this is a law, this is a risk that you are taking on if you enter into this kind of relationship, it makes them think about who they're t- going into these relationships with. Yep. And they know that this is a risk and they can still decide to do it or not. I think the problem is, is that a lot of people don't know that this law exists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm all about informed consent in all aspects of life. And I feel like me personally, uh, regardless of whether or not you're doing something kinky, maybe just jumping into sex with someone who you don't really know that could be really potentially problematic for multiple reasons and even if you're not doing something kinky and that law exists like just know who you're sleeping with I guess is my thing doesn't have to be necessarily in a relationship but like don't do it drunk don't do it under the influence of any type of drugs like you want to be mentally clear and know who this person is Yes, safe, sane, consensual. And when I say sane, I'm talking about not under the influence of drugs and alcohol. Um, yeah, there's so many risks involved, uh, but I am never going to, can I, can I say? You can say anything S-O-U-T? you want. Okay. Yeah. I'm yeah. not going to slut shame. Like <laughs> one of the ways we learn and get better is by practice. So practice, 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 but do so in the safest way possible. And one of the things I do like to stress to people is that kink, especially rope and sex in general, it could be the most vanilla missionary love making sensualness that you, you know, have ever thought about. It is not safe. We can only practice safer sex and safer kink. Um, but no matter what, there's always going to be risk inherent in these things. Yeah. Yeah, and I hadn't quite thought about it like that, but yeah, because there's um, STDs or STIs, there's, mm-hmm. heck, to go totally morbid, if you're just doing missionary and the person on top has a heart attack, well, then you're going to have to push them off you and, like, like heaven <laughs> forbid that happens, right? Like <laughs> That is absolute 90s sitcom material right there, <laughs> you know? Uh, somebody passes out. Blah. Yes. Uh, yeah. There's no. There's no such thing as a hundred percent safe sex. There's just stuff that we can do to make it safer, and that way you can enjoy it more. Yeah. Going back to the sadomasochist thing for a second. Okay. Some people may have the impression that you only are into that if you were abused or you're an abuser. Or you have some type of trauma, and that's why you like getting spanked. True or false? Oh, you you <laughs> would absolutely bring this up. This is 
this is one of those things that even in people that have been in the community for a long time, there is still a debate about this. Um, so I am going to say false. All right. There is a way that our body perceives pain when we are already heightened and aroused and our partner comes and brings their hand down and you get that nice crack. All right. When your body is in that rush of endorphins and you introduce another stimulant or stimulation, it can translate that into pleasure. And if you do that frequently enough, your body will start to regularly associate that stimulation, that pain as pleasure. So there are ways to get into that. Now, for a lot of people who have experienced trauma, this is actually a way of finding safe ways to face their trauma, take control of situations, and it feeds just a very different side of things. So it is false to say that all sadomasochists are into this because of trauma or history. There are some of them, though. (laughs) (laughs) Could you elaborate into how maybe people who had experienced trauma, how this can maybe help them heal or work through some of the things that you had alluded to? Yes. Uh, I will preface this by saying if you experienced trauma, um, assault, or anything that is triggering in this way is causing you stress in your daily life or your sexual relationships, please, please see a therapist, a sex therapist, um, specifically in those cases. A sex coach is somebody who can uh, help you as far as your goals but a sex therapist is going to take that to really focusing on your trauma and helping you heal. Um, so with that little caveat there, um, people can find safe spaces where they take control of what happened to them. They are in a spot where they are completely safe with their partner. They are finding new bridges to build to create trust, which is huge for somebody who has been a victim of abuse or sexual assault. And a lot of what triggers panic attacks or triggers anxiety is reliving a trauma and being, it's, it's this idea of being stuck in the trauma. Okay. You are helpless in this particular situation by facing that trauma in a controlled environment and associating it with something other than fear, we can really lessen that panic. We can lessen how crippling that is to our body, to our, our mind and take control of it. And for a lot of people that can be freeing. Yeah, the way um, I understand it. So I had panic attacks for a long time because I was hit by a car. So hearing a siren or walking across a parking lot, like I was a hot mess for years. And when I would have a panic attack, the best way I could describe it to people is it was like I was there again. It's like I was being hit by the car again. I was in the street, helpless. And so one of the things I used as a tool for that is a um, 
therapy technique called EMDR. It's like, I really should look this up because I bring it up and then I always forget what it means. It's like (laughs) eye movement, something, something, but EMDR. And what it did is you don't have to articulate what is what the trauma is and it's for these very short periods of time and you're either looking at like a um a light going back and forth or like a metronome from a piano where it's swinging do 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 and it's at a specific frequency or you're holding these um like little buzzers in your hand and they go buzz 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 and you remember it for a short time and so you can talk through it. You don't have to. You can keep your eyes closed. You can keep your eyes open. Whatever works for you. And it actually reprocesses in the brain. And the whole goal is when you're thinking about this very specific part of the trauma. So for me, I can't just be, I was hit by a car. It was me laying in the street. You have to really zoom in. And then you have to view it as like you're watching a TV show or you're on a moving train. So you don't try and put yourself back in and I don't understand how it works but I can tell you that it works <laughs> like don't, don't ask me to explain how it works um but like 99.99% of the time now I can walk across the parking lot and we're totally good so it doesn't it, like you you can walk across the parking lot and you're not it's not nagging in the back of your head or anything no <gasps> oh my gosh no. That's huge. Like, I used to get to crosswalks and have a complete panic attack and, like, literally have to be, like, picked up and carried across the street. Oh and, like, also gosh. kicking and screaming. Like, it was bad. And now I can do it. Am I more aware of what's going on when I'm crossing a street? Yes. But I can do it now and there's no sense of panic. So, EMDR, I highly recommend for anyone who has any type of trauma. Whether it be sexual, physical, emotional, highly, highly recommend. And I, that is really interesting. And I highly recommend it in person, not virtual, only because if you do need a hug or something, or you don't want to be distracted when you're in that space, and if you're home, right? And a car goes by or whatever, or a kiddo comes in or your dog has to go out. Like you don't want to have that broken. So I highly also recommend it in person. That's a good point. Uh, when it comes to the the panic stuff. Um, so yes, I've, I've had trauma in, in the past. Um, but one of the biggest, weirdest phobias I had was needles. And yes, I know I'm covered in tattoos. Uh, I, that's the first comment I always get. Different needle, totally it's different. different thing. It's different. Totally different. Um, if there was even mention of, hey, you need, you know, you need a shot, you need a blood draw, you need anything. My knees would get weak. I would start to hyperventilate. I would kick, scream, bite, pass out, uh, all the things. And it sounds like EMDR is a combination of of reassociating your brain or this moment with like different stimulation. It's the the lights it's, it's or bilateral. the feeling of the buzzing, yep. you know, it's associating it with a different stimulation, um, but it's also a combination of like uh, exposure therapy. So in order to like get blood drawn, I, I was really sick for a while. They were, they were having me look at pictures of needles online. 
you're in a safe space. This needle can't harm you. It's just a picture. And I had to start with that. And then I had to drive to the blood draw place and sit in the parking lot. And then I could leave, but I had to at least get there. And like little exposures to tell your body, I am in a safe space and take that, you know, take you away from the trauma, give you experiences near these places or near these things where you are coming out safe and okay. And that is kind of what this BDSM is doing for people. It's some form of safe exposure therapy. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm guessing the tattoos were okay because you were in control and you wanted them. Uh, so the tattoos are okay because I have this fear of things going into my bloodstream. Okay. And so the tattoos are only broaching like a couple layers of skin. Um, and also they all have these little teardrops. So I would always tell the tattoo artist, just start at the teardrop. And that way, if I freak out, I'll, I'll just have, you know, a complete tattoo. So they all have this one little teardrop on them. It's, it's cheesy, but it worked. It worked. That's awesome. And I also like pain. So, you know, I'm that masochist. So. <laughs> <laughs> Once the pain overrode the fear, I was like, oh, yeah, we got this. Let's go. <laughs> Do you know why you, you are slash were so afraid of needles? Uh, I actually think it's hereditary for me. As weird as that sounds, my mom had that fear as well. And from what I understand, it's called trypanophobia. And it actually is developed by a fear of generally sharp objects. I'm not good with knives. My brain will make a catastrophic daydream, essentially. Like if a knife is resting out on the countertop, I will start to get close to panic as my brain starts to develop this whole story. Somebody's going to knock it off. It's going to hit an artery. It's like it becomes a whole scene in my head. Um, and apparently it's very common in redheads and the trypanophobia is, and it stems from this fight or flight uh, mm -hmm. reaction. It's a survival mechanism and I've always had it. My daughter has it and I've never told her that I'm afraid of these things. So there's, that's my theory. Loose theory. Do you want to go weird for a second? Yeah. Okay. Always. I okay. love weird. So are you okay with conspiracies? Like, like yes. open mind on things. Okay, cool. So there is, and I'm going to put a bunch of conspiracy theories together and this is a thought experiment people. So don't get mad at me. Um, so redheads are typically RH negative. So A negative, B negative, AB negative, or O negative. Okay. And there is a theory that, um, that missing marker that negative, not having um, the rhesus marker, allows you to uh, have certain extrasensory perceptions. So maybe you can uh, connect more with the spiritual side, or you're more empathic, or you're more intuitive. And it's also been suggested that potentially, particularly redheads, but also this RH negative, is from a specific bloodline, and it's meant to be uncorrupted. So the fact that you're like, I don't want something in my bloodstream, like, is really interesting to me because then people also think there's generational trauma and memory can be in DNA and things like that. So did something happen way, way back that you're trying to preserve that's happening now? And that's my conspiracy theory corner. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. 
okay, remember how your gears were turning? My gears are turning now, and I <laughs> love this theory. I absolutely love this theory. Uh, because it also touches on, on this, you know, this whole stereotype that we had way back when where like redheads were witches or didn't yep. have souls or like this. So this whole concept of this difference about them too, tapping into that spirituality aspect. Yep. There are so many jigsaw pieces that just went click right into place. You're good. Listen, um, while this is not a conspiracy theory podcast, I do enjoy listening to them. I have a lot of friends who have like conspiracy, quote unquote, conspiracy theory podcasts. Um, And I actually know a few people who are redheads and it's similar things to you. I know one girl, um, she can't wear necklaces. Her mom can't wear necklaces. She can't wear necklaces. And she thinks it was um, from her ancestors way, way long ago being hung. And so anything around her neck, she doesn't like. Oh. Generational. Oh my gosh. I actually know a guy who he's going to, I should know this. Anyway, he's part of the Proctor family from Salem, Mm -hmm. Massachusetts. And so like one of his ancestors was hung as a witch. And so even he doesn't like wearing necklaces. He doesn't like wearing any jewelry. Wow. So it's not oh my just gosh, women. You just opened up a whole new like rabbit hole for me <laughs> to go down. This is so interesting. <laughs> I love conspiracy theories. I really do. Yeah, and so do I. And like I think that they're fun and I think they're really fun thought experiments. It's not something that I necessarily have to stake a claim on and believe 100% like everything is fluid with new information but I think it's really fun to think about absolutely the other thing too is I know a lot of redheads um they have they burn up anesthesia really fast or like Novocaine when they go to the dentist and like a lot of pain medications don't work and like yeah is that true for you as well yes yeah, uh, you know, when I do I finally get around <laughs> to going to the doctor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it actually, you know what? I wonder if that's why um, I don't even really like taking pills. Something about like getting things into my bloodstream. I am that person that that headache has to be going on five hours and be unbearable before I will evil, even take an ibuprofen. You are um, not the first redhead who said this to me. Who like are like, I'm not putting anything unnatural in my body. Like basically what you said, like they have to be almost dying to go to the doctor, to go to the dentist, to take anything. And because they're like, they can't articulate as to why, like there's, Mm -hmm. but it's like this deep seated fear, but a lot of them, they can't tie it to anything. Yeah. There's, I, I mean... I do. I remember as a kid getting my finger pricked for the the lead test. That was yeah. a, that was a little traumatizing, but it doesn't explain all no. of this. Yeah, and I've never been able to express to somebody why I will just put off, you know, going to the doctor or put off well that needle thing, but put off just taking ibuprofen or anything like that. No, I I give I want to give my body the chance to to do its thing, I guess. But can this you, makes a lot more sense. Can you take like? A capsule of like willow bark or something completely natural, okay? Or like a tincture yeah. of that, okay? It's just yeah. pharmaceuticals. Interesting. Interesting. So it's not like a gag reflex where you can't swallow a pill. Oh, no, no. 
Nope, I can, okay. no. And I mean, there are now, like I've come to a point where there are certain medications I will take every day. Uh, but yeah, with the stuff for like a headache or pain or, you know, introducing something new into the routine would be weird for me. But if it's natural, oh yeah, I've done that apple cider fire stuff. Fire but cider. I had a really oh, bad cold. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, but I'll do it. No problem. Yeah. Yeah, have you ever um, fermented garlic cloves and honey and done that? No, but now it's, I'm going to have to try it. <laughs> it's so easy. So take garlic cloves and you can either leave them whole or like cut them up into smaller pieces and just put a bunch of raw unfiltered honey on it, preferably local, and let it sit on your counter for a bit and make sure the cap is loose and the honey's not all the way to the top or it'll explode on your counter. Don't ask me how I know. Um, like it'll just like overflow and... Um, yeah, <laughs> it, it was a mess. But after, I forget how long, a couple of weeks, you can look up a recipe. And then I just keep a jar in the fridge. And when someone starts to get sick, they eat a garlic clove. And if they don't want to chew it, they swallow it. And it's great. And then you can eat the honey too, or put it over cornbread. Because it's a garlic honey. Yeah. Yeah. So on cornbread, that would make sense. Yes. Garlic is fantastic as far as antibacterial and, and healing properties. Yeah. My kid was getting ear infections uh, back to back to back when she was younger. And one of her doctors, like her regular primary care was like, get garlic drops and put them in her ears. It will help. And it's it's an amazing food. I love garlic. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So this company called Herb Farm, P-H-A-R-M, makes these mullion garlic drops are meant for your ears mm. um it's great like warm it up a little bit like shove it in your bra or whatever to like make sure it's more like body temp and it's not <laughs> cold right when you put it in your ear um but yeah th- those those are great i use those for myself so oh the multi-purpose that is our cleavage <laughs> listen i wish i had more i'm part of the itty bitty titty committee so same same <laughs> so anytime i can find a use for what little cleavage i have I am like over the moon. <laughs> Biggest compliment uh, that my partner, my husband can give me is doing the motorboat like up in there. <laughs> makes me feel so womanly. Did they grow when you had children? Like, I, I don't they know if did. mine would yet. Did they go back? Uh-huh. That's sad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then so they, they got really big and delightful. And then not only did they go back, but then they went down. Because, <laughs> because of the milk. Yep. Like, no. Yep. Now they're not as perky. But part of, you know, that whole sex coach thing is accepting my my body as well for the changes and looking at myself and saying, just because my body was not what it was, doesn't mean it's not beautiful. It's yeah. a different type of beautiful. And I remember the day that I could look at my body and be like, it's an adult body. In it's a sexy adult body and that's okay. It's not a sexy young adult, 22 year old body. And that's okay. Cause I'm not 22. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that regardless of your, uh, whether you're vanilla or kink or anywhere in between or whatever lifestyle you lead that body positivity and recognizing that you need to love your body as it is. Cause it nourishes you and it, you wake up every day and you're never going to be 22 again or 15 again or whatever. And recognizing that 
that you're never going to be that age again. And you're also never going to be this age again. So appreciating Mm -hmm. you in the body that you are today. And it's difficult. It's difficult with all the outside influence, the advertisements, the shows, what we're seeing and perceived as what is supposed to be sexy. Um, I saw the funniest meme the other day. It said the most toxic relationship is the one we have with our own body. We're like, how dare you have this pimple and this stretch mark and this, that your body is just trying to keep you alive. Like that's literally its whole job is just keeping going. And we're like, how dare you have, uh, you know, some cellulite over there. Yeah. My gosh, what are you doing? Creaking. We need to be kinder to our bodies. We do. And this, I, I don't know how I forgot, but I forgot to ask you the question that I ask everyone. <laughs> we jumped right in. You were we just jumped too right excited. In. We were. Please tell me two things you love about yourself. Oh, man. I specifically did not like try and preemptively prepare something. I wanted to be on the spot. I would say the the first thing I love about myself is probably the same thing that I end up really frustrated about myself with, which is this gung hoedness that came out way different than I had intended to. <laughs> I love it. After talking about sex, hoedness. Okay, so this, I love it. <laughs> this this go getter attitude. So I'll I'll get an idea, and it lights that spark, and I just chase it, and I'm passionate about it. And a lot of times I don't know if that's going to be an idea that really is long-term, but a lot of times I will chase it until I hit that wall and I will hit the wall and just be like, okay, I cannot do any more of the things. So as much as I love that passion and that drive, I burn myself out. But I love, I love that. It's a cycle because I get back up and I do it all over again. (laughs) And what's the second one? Oh gosh. Uh the second one? What's the second one? Um Okay. The second thing I love about myself, and if anybody out there is in the kink or BDSM community, I love how bratty I am. <laughs> like in day-to-day life, in everything that I do, a little bit of brat shines through. And is brat different than sass? Ooh, not really. Uh, Yes, a little bit. So people can be sassy in their day-to-day life, and you just keep going on about it. A brat means I am sassing because I want to get something back from it. I want sass back. I want punishment. I want, like, bring it on. You're you're encouraging that out of other people. So there's the slight difference there. Okay. Repercussions. Okay. Yeah, I, like you started talking about body positivity, and I was like, I totally forgot to ask my question <laughs> that I ask everyone. I think there's only one episode, though, that I completely forgot to ask it. So as long as I ask <gasps> oh it at some gosh. point. Oh, my gosh. Did yeah. you, like, go back to them and, like, do a little add-on at the end? I didn't. I oh, didn't. Because it was, like, in the very beginning of my episodes, and I've been doing this for, like, a year now. So Oh, gotcha. I, it wasn't quite established as it is now. So, okay. Okay. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you remembered. I can't, <laughs> cannot break tradition, can't, but can't now for my OCD, I'm going to be like going back through those older podcasts and be like, where's that one? 
Where's the one she missed? My favorite was the one that um, someone flipped it on me. <gasps> and they're like, so what are yours? And I was like, wait a minute, you're the guest here. You're so- I'm supposed to ask you a question. <laughs> <laughs> but it was totally like her personality because she's um, a lifestyle coach and an energy healer. It was Taylor Alina. And it was just so natural because that's what she does. And I was like, and now I feel like my guests. Um <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. Did you learn something about yourself that day? I did. That, and it's, so part of the, I used to not tell people about that question. And then I started sending out my emails of here's the Zoom link, here's this, here's that. And I become more professional about it. And I warn them now. However, not everyone reads the emails. So that I can't help. If you don't (laughs) read the email where I warn you, I can't help that part. But I used to just like, you know, uh, I'm losing my words. Spring it on them. Thank you. Boink it yeah. on them. <laughs> <laughs> boink, boink. <laughs> boink it on them. And they'd be like, what? And I was like, yeah, it was in the past couple episodes. And But now I warn them. And if you don't read the email, I, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, not sorry at that one. Sorry, not sorry. Yep. You got nobody else to blame but yourself at that point. Uh, no, when I do my, uh, so the Wednesdays, I do the YouTube lives. Yeah. And I always ask just two random questions of anybody that's watching. And I always tell people, I'll never ask you something I'm not willing to answer myself. So I try and make sure that I don't prepare my own answers either because I'm asking people to be on the spot. And part of what I want them to see is my reaction to, oh, gosh, yeah, no, I didn't think that through before I asked that question or whatever the case may be. And I kind of wanted to stay true to that with the questions that that or the question that you said. So anytime it came up thinking about, oh, my gosh, I have this podcast interview tomorrow. What am I going to say? Nope. I'm you just stop right now. There were like two competing voices in my head, as crazy (laughs) as that sounds. Do not go through that whole, you know, when you're in the shower. Does anybody else do this? You're in the shower and you have conversations, like mock Uh, conversations. Not just in the shower, like all the time. Okay. Okay, cool. All the time. Yeah. I (laughs) I shut that down. I was like, I am not playing the mock conversation out. Oh, yeah. No, for me, it's not just like mock conversations. Like I'll randomly start thinking about like this what if scenario that's completely unrealistic and I realize I've been thinking about it for 10 minutes and gone to this scenario that I'm like that would never happen and then I'm like I just need to stop this this is not productive <laughs> I can, do it all the can time I tell you can I tell you my most ridiculous what if mock conversation shower experience please Stuart Little is on trial uh as you know trying to prove his humanity and I'm his defense lawyer like the mouse like the little white mouse yep 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 (laughs) and i'm trying to get him human rights and that is the mock scene that plays out repeatedly a couple times a year happens in the shower and i make a damn good mouse attorney just saying (laughs) (laughs) i've never told anybody that i love it oh my gosh mine are more typically like these uh 
catastrophic like the world is ending scenarios like oh my gosh i'm driving down the freeway and all of a sudden there's just like this giant explosion and all the cars stop working and how am i going to get home because i'm lost without gps and like those are mine (laughs) oh my gosh that was some final destination meets post-apocalyptic hunger games weirdness going on there oh yes oh yeah yeah those are typically mine like how would i get home and yeah I like yours. Yours are a survival story. That's that's more interesting than my Stuart Little. Defense. Listen, mine can cause like uh, almost like panic sometimes. I'd rather be thinking about Stuart Little and human rights. Like I'd much rather have go. those no. thought experiments. <laughs> okay, so I challenge you next time that you start to get those little panicky scenarios. Just imagine how you would defend Stuart Little's humanity. Okay. <laughs> and maybe it'll make you smile at least oh, definitely um do you have one location that you work out of or how like where are your classes typically held if someone wanted to attend a class sure so uh right now i do not have a space of my own so all our products um are online because we do sell all the things that go buzz in the night um and my coaching services are done via zoom uh but we regularly are in Sturbridge, Massachusetts. There is this amazing studio. Uh, it's called Alice's Dance and Fitness. She teaches pole. She teaches uh, aerial sashes. She teaches burlesque. So once we connected, she was really keen to let me borrow the space. Um, so we're doing two a month, if not more sometimes. So Sturbridge, Massachusetts is normally where we hold our classes. We're always looking for other locations. Uh, I've done West Haven, Connecticut. We've been out in Jamaica Plains, Massachusetts, out near Boston. So the advantage is, is that I can travel and share the information more widely uh, outside of our regular Sturbridge events. I would totally be interested in like a burlesque pole aerial thing. Like, I just want to develop upper body strength. And I think all of those things would be a great way to do that. Like, a great fun way to do it rather than just, like, doing pull-ups or some shit. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, um, Alice's uh, pole and burlesque classes and stuff like that, they're super affordable. So, Alice's Dance and Fitness in Sturbridge. Cannot recommend it enough. She's fantastic. And uh, in December, she'll be putting on burlesque shows. Hot. All sorts of amazing. I will link that in the show notes and can you also tell people where to find you and those will also be linked in the show notes sure yeah uh so our website is uh and I, there's two ways to read this so it's wwwboink ed so you can say boinked you've been boinked or boink ed because we're educating people so boink ed.com um, and you can find uh from the menu all the events and classes there you can find information about us uh, we have instagram it's uh, boink underscore ed. We have the YouTube channel boink. It's at boink hyphen ed. Uh, there's Twitter. It's all it's all on the website though. I'm really bad at this like self promoting thing. I just want to talk to people. No, you're good. And like I said, all of those will be linked in the show notes. You can just go click on them if you have a social media preference, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, whatever. And thank y'all for listening. And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful day. Those hot, all sorts of amazing. I will link 
that in the show notes? And can you also tell people where to find you? And those will also be linked in the show notes. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so our website is, uh, and I, there's two ways to read this. So it's www.boink-ed. So you could say boinked, you've been boinked, or boink ed, because we're educating people. So boink-ed.com. Um, and you can find uh, from the menu all the events and classes there. You can find information about us. Uh, we have Instagram. It's uh, boink underscore ed. We have the YouTube channel, boink. It's at boink hyphen ed. Uh, there's Twitter. It's all it's all on the website, though. I'm really bad at this, like, self-promoting thing. I just want to talk to people. No, you're good. And like I said, all of those will be linked in the show notes. You can just go click on them if you have a social media preference, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, whatever. And thank you all for listening. And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful day.